Hello, I'm Angelina. And I'm Martin. And this is the CX Cast. Welcome to this week's CX Cast. And joining us alongside my co-host Angelina this week is my colleague live from Switzerland, Maxi Schmidt. Hello, Maxi. Hi, Martin. Hi, Angelina. Lovely to be with you. And Maxie's a veteran of the podcast, but Maxie today is going to talk to us about the topic of value for customer, which she presented on at CXMA last year. She's written a bunch of reports on, and she's got some, I would say, challenging perceptions on value. So go on, Maxie, kick us off and challenge us about how we think about value. So I think the first challenging thing I have to do is to break it to you that today in this very podcast episode, I will not deliver any value to you. The reason why I will not deliver value to you is because I cannot deliver value to you. And um, while I, as the podcast kind of guest, cannot deliver value to you, your organization also can't deliver value to your customers. And that is because that's not how value works. Okay, wow. Maxi coming in with the challenge. All right, how, what can we do then if we can't deliver value? Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll put some meat on the bones why um, I'm going to say that we can't deliver value. And you know what? You know why I'm saying this? I'm saying this not because this is a semantic problem, even though language is really important, right? There's an amazing quote. Um, it's called language is a powerful tool. It doesn't just name our society. It shapes it. And it's from a disability activist, um, Sinead Burke. And that quote really made me think because I've noticed that even companies who are trying to be very customer-centric or customer-obsessed start talking about delivering value to customers. And I think this is really getting us down a wrong path of thinking, that kind of thinking about delivering value to customers. And I can tell you why. So three reasons why that is leading us down the wrong path. And let me use this podcast maybe as an example, and you can apply it to your company. So the first is that value is a completely contextual perception in use. It is not inherent in anything. So there's no inherent value in this podcast. If you, for example, listen to it, but you don't speak English, there'll be no value for you. Or if you listen to it, but multitask and do other things at the same time, you might not get any value from it. So it's not inherent in this. The value comes from you using this podcast, listening to it, having thoughts about it, um, getting some insights, right? So it's kind of, it's, it's something that is not inherent. The second reason is that you are, as I just highlighted a little bit, you're active in this. You're not just listening to this podcast, but you're coming to the podcast with your own background, with your own questions, with your way of looking at the world. And together we kind of co-create something in this podcast. I talk, you listen, think, um, there's new insights that we create together. And that's kind of the second thing, right? So the first thing was value is a perception in use. And the second thing is that value is co-created and customers are active in that. And the third thing is, is that value is also not something that is just in this one-to-one -one relationship between um, a company and its customers. So this one-to-one -one relationship, for example, between me and you. But you, as you get smarter about customer experience, work with a host of people and organizations. And this podcast and me are just one among them. And at the same time, you have maybe other information sources uh, that you look at. You have your friends and family that uh, make it 
able for you to even listen to this podcast, right? Uh, somebody watches your kids, so you have time to listen to this podcast or whatever it is. So there is always, whenever a customer is trying to accomplish a goal, like getting smart about CX, there is not just uh, one person involved or one, one, one kind of company like Forrester, but there's a whole host of other people involved. And I call this the value network, right? So that, those are the three things. So it's a contextual perception, use, and not inherent. It's co-created by customers who are active in the process. And value creation happens in a value network. So this the concept of networks is a really interesting one to dig into. So it, we, we talk about CX ecosystem, but being the internal ecosystem that presents the experience to the customer, like the call center, the website, the, the stores, to take a retail example. But I think you're talking, if I've heard you right, about something more external, more customer-centric in terms of, like, I have a car, I have car insurance, I fill the car up with petrol. There's an ecosystem around or a network around me driving somewhere. Right. I think this value network is a real different way of looking at the world because much of the ecosystem thinking is still very company centric, right? The company is kind of at the center or sometimes we talk about partner ecosystems, but when you see some visuals of what the partner ecosystem looks like, the company is in the middle, not the customer. And the value network is truly around the customer. So a value network are all of the people that a customer interacts with as they're trying to accomplish a goal. And when I said people, I mean this really broadly. I mean other companies, um, colleagues, friends, family. Um, think about maybe one example, right? If you're uh, an ill person, so you're sick, your goal is to get healthy. And as you're doing that, you work not just with your doctor or not just with your health insurance. So your doctor and your health insurance might want to think that they are the crucial part in your life and super important. But while they are important, you also work with others. You work with maybe a government to give you information, community groups to give you support. There is a pharma company involved that creates medication and potentially even advises you on how to take it. There are other healthcare providers. Um, there's associations and information providers. There's uh, pharmacies, um, family and friends that help you through the time. So you can see how even a sim <laughs> relatively simple thing like getting healthy requires a host of actors who you interact with. And as you're interacting with them to achieve your goal, you're either able to create value for yourself or unfortunately value is being destroyed. So that's the idea of the value network, right? So all of the people that you work with as you're trying to pursue a goal. This is getting me excited because I realized that I've seen examples of this and couldn't really articulate what was working so well. So for example, Dell Medical Health Centers in the US decided to get rid of wait, waiting rooms. They wanted patients to come in and just own their own room and all of the providers came in, including payment at the end to the room. And they just got to stay there and own the room and feel comfortable in the room instead of wandering around the hospital feeling anxious. So they, they did that. They put the patient at the center and everyone, the whole services had to be rethought about how to provide the service to the patient. And that it did change their journey map. I mean, their journey map kind of imploded a little bit. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. You know what? That example is so amazing. And I mean, I was going to try to bring it up anyway if I could, but this tells us something really, really important about journey maps that I don't think we're doing right now, right? Currently, Many journey maps are just uh, the interactions of a customer with a company, our company, right? But if you think first about the value network of trying to, for example, get healthy, then the next logical step is that you have to completely update how you journey map. You need to make sure that you have interactions with all of these different people and organizations as part of the journey map. And you also have to make sure that you can show what is the thing that person 
that also happens to be a customer, but that person is getting from each of these people that they're working with on their road. So for example, right, I mentioned earlier, family and friends for a sick person are support and freeing them up to, to focus on themselves. Pharma provider gives you the medication and so on and so on, right? Doctor diagnosis and plans. So that, that's kind of the, the, the way that to think about it. And now your journey map will actually have to reflect that. Plus it reflects what your role is in, in all of this complicated value network. And you might have to acknowledge that your role is actually much smaller than you thought in the old kind of the olden thinking, the old thinking of the, the two-way interaction between the company and the customer trying to improve the relationship. But a customer doesn't want to have a relationship with you. They're trying to solve issues in their lives. And for that, they need their value network and you're part of it. And if you are great, like the example you mentioned, you might even get to facilitate some of that value network. But you have to start small by earning a place in that value network before you can go on to even thinking about facilitation of value networks. That's a really key point, I think, where we see some really clumsy examples of firms try to move move to an adjacent part or offer new services in a way that just doesn't really gel with delivering the outcomes that customers want. What gives firms permission to play a bigger part in a customer's value network? So I think the first thing is to earn your place in the value network. So if you're, th- for example, if you're a health insurance company, your role in the sick person's value network is to make sure that person can get access to medication, treatment, procedures, right? In a way that is easy enough, in a way that's affordable, in a way that makes that customer feel confident about their health. So if you understand what is the kind of thing that this this, this person wants from me as a part of the value network, you can start to earn a kind of like a really permanent place in that value network because customers, will be quick to swap you out if you don't earn a permanent place in there. So if you already <laughs> screw up, excuse my language, your little part of the value network, then that customer will not develop the trust that is needed to give you permission to facilitate larger value networks for them. So there's a kind of deep a deep understanding of the outcomes that customers want from you there. But you, you've already, in a, another piece of research, you talked about the dimensions of value, like why do customers come to you? So can you say a little bit about what customers might value or how you might measure that? Right, and that's that's what I what I'm what I, what I've kind of alluded to a little bit. And thank you for forcing me to be be more clear about it. Like when you are thinking, for example, about the experience of a customer or a sick person who is trying to get healthier, right? There are different types or different dimensions of value that matter. The first is economic value. Second is functional value. Third is experiential value. And the fourth is symbolic value. I'll give you a few examples for the sick person trying to improve their health, just to make that clearer. So economic value, for example, is all about money. Money that you have to pay, how predictable the prices are, how fair they are. So in this health situation, um, affordable treatments, for example. So are they reasonably priced or are they reimbursed? That is a, a dimension or that's a, that's a sign of economic value. The second, if you remember, was functional value. So functional value is all about can you achieve your objective? So one of the health examples is you feel better, your health improves, right? So that's functional value. The experiential value, the third one, is all about how I perceive interactions and sensations. So this could be the interactions with staff or the cleanliness of the hospital, or the website of an insurance provider where you have to try to find a doctor and it's kind of smooth and really, really exciting to interact with. And lastly, the symbolic value. Symbolic value is about the meaning you get from an interaction or from working with a company. And that is all about status, self-affirmation, or also a sense of belonging. So for example, how confident do you feel about handling your illness? 
Or maybe do you feel like you really belong to this tight network of people who have the same rare disease as you do have, right? So these four dimensions, economic, functional, experiential, and symbolic, are important because they reflect different aspects of what people need. So when we think about our customers, we should always think about what do we know about our customers along these four dimensions of value to really get at what's important to them. So what do you do then? Do you do you prioritize a type of value? Do you have to decide on one value to focus on? You know what? I thought that in the beginning. Um, and certainly in people are predisposed to be interested in certain types of value. So for example, if um, somebody grew up in a community where frug being frugal is a real big virtue, it's a value that you hold, right? A belief that you hold. Then of course, the economic value of buying something as cheaply as possible matters. Uh, if people are under economic threat, the economic value of being able to buy something cheaper matters. But we also have people who, for example, don't worry so much about the economic value. Think about the large swath of values-based customers who buy from brands because they feel a sense of connection, because they feel that the brand donates to the same political causes they donate to, but maybe um, <laughs> protests the same political causes that they protest. So there is, what I'm trying to say is that when, when you have these four dimensions, people are maybe more predisposed to one or the other. But I think it's really important and where I think the real insight is, is into what are the drivers of value in each dimension. And they can be different by person, right? And that's where we're trying to get to with, oh, where you have to, and we all as, as an industry have to get to with research, qualitative research into understanding what are the kinds of drivers of value in each dimension. So then we can talk about how to make sure that people perceive value along these uh, four dimensions. And going back to a point you made earlier, and I remember we talked about this when you were developing this research, that contextual in-use piece is incredibly important because the value dimensions change depending on, I think the, one of the examples we talked about was like record collectors and Spotify. The value of Spotify to a record collector at home with their beautiful stereo system is minimal, but when they're sitting on an aeroplane, the value dimensions change. So we have to think about when the customer is using it, where they are. Right. So somebody who loves, loves, loves to listen to music, they will maybe at home, they'll prefer listening to their awesome records on an old record player and love the noise that it makes, or the, the kind of uh, patina that these records have. When they're on the plane, that is less important. They're just happy that there's some kind of music um, playlist that they could download and listen to. Right. And, and, and maybe if you're a music buff, you have an even more nuanced picture of that. But think also of like, going to a coffee shop. If you're going there with a colleague just to get a coffee, what's important to you is that it's quick and easy. If you're going there with a date, then ideally it also smells really good and uh, you can sit there for a while and nobody bothers you and you'll be able to pronounce all the names of the drinks because otherwise you'd sound really stupid in front of your date. Like, so the same thing going to a coffee shop, uh, what drives value for you as a customer will be very different on the kind of situation that you're in. So I'm going to ask Maxi the question you always ask. What about B2B? B2B. <laughs> this is not a B2C thing. Okay, so A, B2B is um, probably a really, really, really big category of companies, right? We have B2B companies that are more like B2C companies and B2B companies that aren't. But the idea that there is certain value dimensions that a company and the people in the company are trying to get to is the exact same. So can I, maybe, maybe I'll quickly talk about a B2B example. Remember, we just talked about being a sick person who's trying to get better. What about if you are a company who's trying to manage the HR tasks more efficiently and effectively? Then you work with an HR vendor. Maybe you work with a consulting firm for implementation of the software. You work with your colleagues to understand their, their requirements. 
you work with other firms who buy the software as potentially references, you work with maybe HR associations who tell you what you really should and should not have in an HR software, your bank's involved, channel partners are involved through which you might buy the software, maybe industry analysts are involved that advise you. So there's this huge, huge value network for this B2B company trying to manage their HR tasks effectively. And then they have the same idea around the value dimensions, right? Remember the four, four, four dimensions from earlier, economic, functional, experiential, and symbolic value. So economic value is when your subscription price for the software is low, or when you can save wages or speed up HR tasks. Functional value is if the software makes HR processes more effective. Experiential value is when users have enjoyable interactions with support, for example, or when the buyer has a really pleasant interaction with an ordering portal. And symbolic value is when a user, for example, becomes more competent and confident in their, their career because they have this amazing HR software to help them manage it. Or the buyer might feel pride from bringing in this innovative vendor into the company. So we've just basically gone through the same exercise, a value network and these value dimensions for a B2B company. So it's equally important that little twist is that you have several people in the B2B company and their value dimensions or their value drivers in these dimensions might be different. So a purchaser might be more looking at the economic value, while the user might be looking more at the functional and experiential value. So you can see that there's a bit of bit more complexity in there, but it applies equally. You're also making me think that whenever we're delivering a customer experience, and let's say we have considered the value network of the customer, we may also be impacting the employee experience. So there are value networks for the employees too that we should potentially consider. Yes, yes, yes. And um, also depending on when you're thinking to the, just, just thinking about the customer side for a second, um, uh, my colleague Katie Fabischek is just working on this. The value network depends on where you're on the life cycle. And for the employee, the value network, of course, also depends on what kind of journey they're on right now. And employees can have several goals at the same time. I do a good job maybe get promoted, <laughs> um, be, get really smart at what they're doing. And now you'll have all these different value networks that intersect with what the customer does. So you've described something that goes way beyond most CX teams, because this is really at the heart of business strategy, product strategy, customer obsession, as we call it at Forrester. But if we, if we bring it back to the CX pro, what, what would you advise CX leaders, CX professionals to do? How do, how do they approach this? I believe, very firmly believe that we can play really, really important role. And I say we, I shouldn't really consider myself. Um, I, um, you all out there are heroes doing this work. So you should can all play a really, really important role in helping get this thinking into the company. So please don't be the one who says, let's all deliver more value. Go in and explain that value is a perception. And all these things we talked about earlier, right? It's a perception and use. Customers are active participants and there's a value network. And then it starts with you because you can be the one who up, totally upgrades your journey maps. First of all, right, making sure you actually identify the end goal of a journey, not just the immediate goal, but the end goal of a journey, because that will give you completely new insights into what kind of value a customer is desiring from this journey. And I have an example for that in a second. And second, then um, make sure that the journey includes all of the actors in the value network. And also it includes where customers are feeling values being created and where customers feeling value is being destroyed. And can I, can I maybe go back to that example about the goals of the journey? Because I think this is really one important one. We need to understand the long-term goals of journeys. So for example, when you think about credit card application, there's actually a neat example from Navy Federal Credit Union because they know that when members call about the card, they can give directly and decision whether the customer will get the card or not. 
And that's important because that's the short-term goal of the credit card application. But they also know what the long-term goal is. And the long-term goal is to build credit score. The long-term goal of a credit card is not to get a credit card. It's to build a credit score so that you can get a house loan and so on and so on and so on. So what they do is when you are on the call to ask how it's going with the application, they also offer you to set up uh, payment notifications or automatic transfers from other accounts so that you don't fail in your goal to build a good credit score. And, there's, and, and you know what? Because you challenged me earlier. Yes, I also have a B2B example of this. Um, Intel example. They looked at the ordering journey and the goal of the ordering journey is of course to get the part, right? <laughs> but what Intel also realized is that the long-term goal isn't to order products from Intel. The long-term goal is to build products with the Intel ingredients. So when, for example, there were component shortages, what Intel did is that the in-house engineers and designers at Intel would help the clients redesign the products so that they could use readily available parts and not have to wait. Like this is what I'm talking about when we talk about the long-term goals associated with the journey or the broader goals associated with the journey. And I think we as CX professionals can do a, a lot to bring that kind of thinking um, to stakeholders in the company. That's a great example. I've always assumed that Intel is a good partner considering Dell's willing to put their sticker on their laptops. No one else's sticker is on a Dell laptop, but Intel is always there. Well, thank you so much, Maxi, for this. We always appreciate you coming on. And I know there's actually a few more points that you make in your report on Forrester.com. Uh, listeners, that's called, you can't deliver value to customers, embrace their value networks instead. The title really summarizes it. And I'm, I'm, I'd be so excited if any of you find it, find it interesting, please reach out um, to have a conversation, uh, share your feedback, um, tell me about what you're doing, about your challenges, um, you know where to find me. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at forrester.com. Message us on Twitter at cx underscore cast. And as always, you can find us at www.thecxcast.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like and subscribe and tune in next time for more CX Insights. Thank you.